And so that last year's goal was for Will to be able to retire in three years, but it was like, okay, what do we need to do to get there? Well, we need to increase cash flow. And we were structuring deals because we were getting super creative and we have uh, several deals in our portfolio that they're 0% under finance. So they were putting a ton of money, you know, paying those off, you know, because they're shorter term and we want to just pay them off quickly. Well, that's zero cash flow. So then it's like, okay, what do we need to do to increase cash flow? So it became a cash flow goal versus a door count goal. And so just learning to pivot. And so we've been able to do and that really helped accelerate us to be able to retire now. So. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guests, we have a two-guest episode for you, are Veronica and Will Pritchett. And they are a married couple who has been able to retire through investing in real estate. And today we're going through their journey, how they did it, the types of deals that they did, the mindset shifts that they made along the way, and so much more. Will is or was a firefighter, and Veronica was an educator, and they were able to both retire from their jobs through real estate investing. So today we go through that journey, how they did it, so much more, a lot of great lessons that they learned, and just great people, great interview, a lot of knowledge. If you're out there, you want to retire through real estate investing, this is one way to do it. It's how they successfully did it, and it's how many others have done so as well. So I know you're going to learn a lot, a lot of inspiration in this one. And keep your eyes on the prize. They sure did. And they are there now. And they're looking toward the future. What are we going to do with our retirement? In their early 40s, too. It's really impressive. A lot of great stuff. So you're going to enjoy this interview. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. And I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically apartment building and self-storage syndications. If you're interested in learning more and potentially interested in investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com. Fill out the form schedule a call with me and I will look forward to speaking with you then. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so, so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling every single time because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Help them up, help them reach their financial goals. Once again, our guests today are Veronica and Will Pritchett. Without any further ado, here we go. Veronica and Will, thank you for joining us today. It's great to be here, Taylor. Yeah, it's very excited to be here. Thank you. It's been great talking with you so far. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about being a firefighter and teacher couple on the brink of retirement through real estate investing? Absolutely. Yeah, we started about 10 years ago, right after getting married, turned a house into a rental and and just to try it out, liked it. Um, went the traditional way of saving up down payments, took us a couple of years to buy another one. And once we found out about private lending and the birth strategy, we we grew from there. Veronica's background was education. Mine's as a firefighter, and I'm a month away from retiring at the age of 43. So if I can uh, convince anyone out there that has a dream of early retirement or financial freedom, which says is more about time freedom than the money. It's the, the freedom to do with our time what we want. I want them to maybe believe through our story that it is possible coming from not extreme wealth or any silver spoons. So 
that's kind of our story. We, uh, we're very happy to share anything we can to those people that want to follow some of our course. Awesome. Great. I love it. And you mentioned a few things in there that I'd like to just get terms defined, if you will, for folks who maybe aren't familiar with the Burr strategy. Could you give us a rundown of the the overall idea and, and how those type of deals work? Sure. So the Burr strategy stands for buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. And there's whole books written about it. I write about it in my blog a little bit. Basically, you're buying a property that you would maybe see as a potential flip. And instead of flipping it for profit, your your equity gain becomes sort of your down payment on your, your loan. So we use private lenders, friends, acquaintances that loan us the money to go buy the property and fix it up. And uh, we try to be all in for about 70% of the after repaired value. And then after we get it rented, We'll go to the bank in about six months and ask them for a long-term mortgage. They'll pay off our private lenders. Hopefully we've left zero or very little money in the deal. And we've got one more rental in our portfolio. So it's just a nice way to grow. It does require passing on the, the, you know, the big check at closing for the longer term gain. And we've done some flips. We definitely prefer the long-term gain playing the slow game, I guess you could say. Um, it's paid off well, and we kind of regret some of the stuff we have sold. So that's a quick summary of the Burr strategy. Plenty of resources out there to walk you through all the steps. Yeah, I say that a Burr strategy is we flip houses to ourselves. So we use the flippers formula, but we keep that equity long-term, right, in our portfolio versus getting it at closing. I love the way you put that. You flip houses for yourself. I, I, I can't believe I've never heard that before. Maybe that's a title... <laughs> Of the book that maybe you'll write someday, <laughs> flip for yourself or something like that. So a big question that comes up, and we were talking about this before we started recording, was finding the money. And I'd like to dig into your experience of finding the money, but also the mindset shifts that you had once you did a few of these deals and you were like, oh, shoot, this is actually not what we thought it was. So tell us about finding the money and then how your mentality changed around that. So that is definitely Will. Will is really good at raising private money. So I think he should take this. Okay. Well, um, I talk a lot and I talk about what (laughs) excites me and real estate's been that for quite a while. So if you hang around with me for long, you'll hear about real estate and fishing and camping, the things I like. And so we'd always been told that rentals would be a pain and the tenants would be a pain. And once we tried it, we were so enthusiastic that they weren't a pain. They took better care of our house probably than we had. It was a mindset shift. And we were just talking about, hey, this is so cool. These renters are really good people. They're not like everyone said they were going to be. And in a conversation like that at church with some friends, they had had a failed investment in a movie or something. And they're like, we're not investing in movies anymore. But would y'all like to, you know, we'd like to invest with you. And they were attorneys looking for a place to put some money, but they didn't want to be active investors. And I thought, well, that sounds great. And we left church and I was like, I think that I think they want to be our lenders. And so, you know, we read up on how to make it happen, which was really through the title company and the attorney wrote up all the technical documents. So uh, we asked for less than the purchase price on the first one, just because we didn't quite have the guts to ask for the whole thing or the repairs. They got a great return and afterwards asked us the, the mindset shift that really happened was when we paid them off. And they texted us, go find another one. <laughs> oh my God. You know, you, you want to give us your money. We're not begging. We're offering you an opportunity. And that 
built our confidence in the system and we continued to use their money. And then we branched out and developed other private lenders and uh, really realized that it was offering them an opportunity just as much as it was helping us. Yeah, I think also it, it helped that at the beginning that we, they loaned us less than the purchase price, like Will said. So we paid for all of the repairs out of pocket. So then the next deal, they said they offered to pay for the repairs. And we're like, oh, wow. So it's purchase price plus repairs, you know, so that's when it really started to grow. Well, we didn't have to put in our own personal money, our own capital into the deal. Awesome. I love that. And I get a real team uh, vibe from you guys that you, you know, work probably collaboratively. And Veronica, you deferred to to Will to answer that last question, but I, I want to ask, you know, what's your uh, role in the business or what do you see as your your strength, I suppose? I think that's a great question. Definitely a team approach. So early on, we learned what our strengths and weaknesses are. And I definitely think that for me, it's more, um, I say I'm in the trenches. <laughs> so I'm property management, project management, tenant management. You know, I separate property management from tenant management. They're two different things in my, in my opinion. So, you know, Will's a firefighter. So we naturally thought, oh, of course, he's going to take care of construction. I mean, he studies structures and he built his own canoe, you know, like he's definitely is handy. But we decided early on that we were not going to do any repairs to our properties. We were going to hire it all out because we really wanted to focus on growing our business. So, you know, he would go and talk to our our subcontractors, but like he said, he likes to talk a lot. So <laughs> his, <laughs> his strength, you know, he's friends. Well, you know, that phrase, never met a stranger as well. Like he knows, you know, we, we love to travel and the kids say, dad knows somebody everywhere we go. Like he, it's no joke. So anyway, <laughs> a check on a, on a project and you come back and say, Hey, do you know, Rudy, he has like 10 brothers and sisters. It's like, no, no, I, I didn't know that. You know, like, what you're saying is that Rudy didn't work today. Like he's totally full of Rudy's life story, you know, and it's like, that's great. So that's why, you know, he's so good at building relationships. And so that's where, you know, he attracts that private money and he is so good at getting deals, you know, leads for deals because people are constantly sending him good, strong leads. So for me, I love it. So for me, as coming from education, I was good at project management. So I love puzzles and I, I love organizing chaos. Uh, so he gets the deal in the funnel is what we say. And then I get it to the closing table and take it from there. So so yeah, it's, it's worked out great. Once we figured that out, we learned to stay in our lane and what are <laughs> we say? We stayed out of each other's lane. <laughs> That's good. So you're the, the taskmaster. Yeah. <laughs> so we were we briefly touched on this before we started recording, but the, you know, it's just a fact that real estate investing is pretty much all men. At least the the community is pretty much all men. There aren't that many women in it, and there are a lot of reasons for that that you know we not don't need to dig into here. But there are you know we hear about things that that women run into in in this business with you know contractors not not treating you as well, or you know when's your husband going to be around or not giving you the real information or overquoting you or any of those kinds of things. You know, we don't need to make a whole list here, but how have you dealt with that, right? Because you're dealing with these contractors. I imagine it's come up before, right? Absolutely. And I, 
didn't know anything about construction. I've learned a lot. But so the way I approached it was, you know, it's like a foreign language when they would talk to me about everything that needed to be done to this property. So I would just pretend like I knew what they were talking about. So I had them itemize everything on the bid and then how much they were charging for everything. And thank goodness we have YouTube and all these resources. I would actually go and research it and then realize, okay, that does not take that much time. And then getting multiple (laughs) bids and trying to sort it all out. So at the beginning, it took a lot of research on my end to try to figure it out and come up with a good price uh, or a fair price. And then I've learned that it's it's true to have too good of a too good of a bid. <laughs> you know, it needs to so I learned I sort all sorted all of that out. Yes, I definitely ran into, well, when is uh Mr. Pritchett gonna come and look at the project? Or when is, you know, Will? And so I would get that a lot. And I knew those guys weren't going to last very long. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I just used it to my advantage. Like, so when I vet contractors, you know, I I want the contractor that really cares about their craft. You know, they're not the investor. I'm not going to rely on them on making decisions. Like we have this one contractor that wants to make a flower bed at every single property. And I'm like, well, yeah, it would look beautiful, but we're just not going to get higher rents for it. You know, it's not a good return. So that's that's my job. But so I look for contractors that really care about their craft. And a lot of times, you know, they'll they think I don't know anything. So I just kind of play along and let, you know, when they tell me what needs to be done. And so I'm like, oh, you know, yeah, that's that's a great idea. But, you know, this is so it's just kind of sorting all of that out. So I don't fight it necessarily, but I do. But they do learn very quickly that ultimately I'm the one that's going to make the last decision. And the reason the reason they learn that so quickly is that they don't get paid until the work has been done. So, you know, as far as project management goes, they only get paid on Friday and that's for the amount of work that they've done. And so that's worked out very nicely. But I mean, it's and it's also coming from education, you know, it's it's making deposits into the emotional bank account is what we call it in schools, you know, because when you have to make those withdrawals, you need to make sure you have enough deposits. So when I go there, you know, if, if I hired somebody that really cares about their craft, I'm like, man, this is so beautiful. Wow. I can't believe your work. I mean, it's just those and it's it's really um, letting them know that I appreciate their work. So when it does come down to, oh, well, you know, I don't know, they make up something and I know it's totally not true, then we can have those difficult conversations, you know, but I've made enough deposits along the way that we have to make those difficult decisions. And I've also learned that business grows when we have to make those difficult, when we have to have those difficult conversations, that's when, that's just part of being in business. And that's when real change happens, right? When we have, we overcome those difficult conversations. So I think, you know, we're all human and the contractor's going to mess up. The, the, my non-negotiable is that they can't lie to me. So once they, I feel like they're telling me that something needs to be done and I know it's a lie, then they just don't work for us anymore. You know, it's that's that's where I draw the line. If they messed up and they're honest about it, then sure, okay, we, we'll figure something out. But the moment they lie, then it's, you know, fire, what is it, hire slowly, fire quickly? That. <laughs> so I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. You definitely went into depth and, and how you deal uh, with those things. And and I'd like to dig into ways in which a deal has either gone wrong, gone sideways, and, and you saved it, or things that have come up that have been you know, bumps in the road, because it's it's only natural 
especially, you know, it's a, people have lofty goals to hit financial independence, right? But it's not going to be a, a smooth path all along the way. So what are some things that, that come to mind that have, you know, gone wrong in these deals? Hmm, that's a good question. I think one that just comes to mind, we've really been, I guess, somewhat cautious and grown with, I don't know, you know, we've really analyzed and we haven't had any major, major losses, but we had one, one house we were going to renovate for a burr deal. The comps that we came up with were really high rents. And, and when you're evaluating a burr deal, unlike a flip, the rent amount really matters. So in our market, that keeps us like below a $200,000 after repaired value. And in this neighborhood, this is a larger house than most. And the comps indicated a, a high rent. But when we actually put it on the market, we didn't have many people applying. There weren't many people that could afford that much rent because it was so many bedrooms and there was just wasn't a big demand. And we, we like to have a lot of demand for our properties so we can be selective and pick really great tenants. So we ended up selling that house. So it didn't go the way we wanted, but it was a flip. It was still profitable. But again, everything we've sold, we wish we had back because of what's happened in the market in the last few years. So that's one way where we hit a little a bump in the road, but then adjusted. And when we underwrite these, we always underwrite them for multiple exit strategies. Could we, if we can't burn it for any reason, could we flip it? Could we sell it for a profit? If we couldn't sell it for a profit as a traditional sale, could we own or finance it? What are some other strategies we could use? So that's one time where we pivoted. I don't think we've ever bought anything with the intention of flipping it, but we've had a few where we've had to pivot and they became flips, but they were all profitable. Yeah. And we learned from that experience. That was a new area for us. And so while we thought the comps looked great, well, what we didn't do was research what the average income is in that area, right? So that was a lesson learned. So now whenever we go and venture into a new area, we know to look for that because they have to have the income to support that. Because they have, you know, part of our screening process, they need to have three, make the monthly income is three times the rent. So if they don't, if the average income doesn't support that, then we know, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter if the comps are great, you know, it was just happened to be a bigger square footage house. And that's how we got the the higher comps. So, but I think we've been really safe, you know, and in, in the, I mean, what I consider some people wouldn't, right, because we use leverage. But um, I would say most of our deals, like Will said, we've been super, super laser focused on rentals. That like how he said, every deal we approached was, on it, it was going to be a rental and we only sold it because it made more sense as a flip at the time. So I can't say anything, you know, it's gone knock on wood, super sideways. <laughs> well, that is definitely good to hear. I also wonder about, <clears throat> so you're reaching this point where, will you're about to retire. Veronica, I don't know if you've uh, left education yet. If you're on the brink of it, you're, you're out. Yeah. So I left um, education four years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so that we only had like six rentals at the time, six or seven rentals. So obviously it didn't replace my income, but at the time our kids were really little, I guess going on five years now. So at the time I was an assistant principal, I had promoted to administration. So I was working a lot of extracurricular, you know, all the at high school. So I was working a ton of hours. And so at, at that point it was, Will had a full-time job. I had a full-time job. So we had to hire a property manager with what we thought, right? We we're like, we're, we're going to have to hire somebody to help us fill these vacancies for these rentals. And then I thought, well, wait a minute, you know, because by then we had learned about the birth strategy and we had really just, we were in love with real estate and, you know, had learned, just learned, really invested a lot in education and just learning about real estate. So it's like, wait a minute, 
what if I become our property manager? <laughs> and so just like that, you know, I ended up leaving my job that year and was able to really focus. And that is um, that I'm so incredibly grateful for that because that allowed me the flexibility to be there for the kids and be the, be there at karate practice and be there for ballet lessons and be there for bedtime. And, you know, so that, you know, it's, I can't, you know, it's been amazing. So I left it about four or five years ago. Awesome. That's great. And I want to, you know, if we're putting ourselves in the shoes of the listener out there who says, Hey, you know, my spouse and I, we'd love to retire in our early forties, or maybe they're in their forties already. And they are looking to, you know, just retire early in some sense, but it's a very lofty goal, right? It's, it's hard to put yourself at the starting line and see the finish line, you know, the marathon 26 miles away and say, man, I haven't run in years. How am I going to get there? I don't know how to run. Right. right? So when you guys were setting out doing these initial deals, did you set a roadmap in front of yourselves or, or what did that look like to really get you to this point? Like how intentional was that? Well, wow, it changed a lot. Our, I think our initial goal once we had maybe two rentals was before I retire, which would have been about 20 more years, we want to have 10 rentals. That's our goal to supplement retirement. And we also thought that would help with college savings. Uh, we got to that goal a lot faster than we thought once we understood private lending. We thought, man, it's going to take forever to save up these thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 per house on our type of income. As things sped up, we realized we could duplicate this. And then when Veronica quit her job to do this full time, it really was like putting gasoline on our fire. You know, to have her, she wasn't going to be a just a sit around the house person. She wanted to work, but she wanted to work on her terms. And once she put that energy in the business, it really grew. So... We've constantly been moving the goal. In fact, this retirement goal for me last year, just over a year ago, was our three-year goal to have the option to retire. But 2021 was a good year. Things moved up. The time frame moved up and we had the option in one year. So I think what I would tell people is it does feel really slow starting out. One rental is probably not going to get you there. But start with the first one. Learn what you can. Continue to educate yourself. And it just seemed so slow starting. It really did. Mm -hmm. And then it was sort of like hockey stick growth, you know, after that. So if you can come up with a plan that's sustainable, start from wherever you are and move in that direction. We also, you know, we also budgeted. We didn't, you know, we had to reduce the six houses wasn't going to replace her income. So we kind of lived on my income and reinvested her earnings for the business into the business. So it wasn't like we didn't have any sacrifice whatsoever, but the sacrifice was so worth it. She hasn't missed an event in years and I've missed plenty, you know, but I'm about to be in a position where I won't have to. And it, it really can happen. Real estate's the only way we knew where people in the middle class with these types of jobs that are people join, do, do these things for a purpose. They love what they do, but they're not high income jobs. And it's the only way we knew to, to I guess, to grow our net worth substantially starting from where we were. So I think you have to have a plan. You've got to readjust as things happen, as the economy changes. But we had people tell us not to do it 10 years ago when we started. Mm -hmm. We're so glad we didn't listen. It was slow, slow, slow. There's people saying right now, don't do it. You know, there is some risk involved in any kind of investing. But without it, we wouldn't be where we are. That's for sure. We'd both be still working 50, 60 hours a week. Somebody else would be raising our kids probably. And that's not what we wanted. I think too, th about three years ago, we started the goal setting retreat effort. 
you know, at the very beginning, it was kind of like, oh, we just kept going. We didn't really have a, a real good structure. But about three years ago, we started a goal setting retreat. Um, and so we mapped out all of our goals, personal and business. And so that last year's goal was for Will to be able to retire in three years. But we realized what, so what that helped, it was like, okay, what do we need to do to get there? Well, we need to increase cash flow. And we were structuring deals. We were getting super creative and we have uh, several deals in our portfolio that they're 0% under finance. So they were putting a ton of money, you know, paying those off, you know, because they're shorter term and we want to just pay them off quickly. Well, that's zero cash flow. So then it's like, okay, what do we need to do to increase cash flow? So it became a cash flow goal versus a door count goal. And so just learning to pivot. And so we've been able to do and that really helped accelerate us to be able to get to be able to retire now. So. Right. Awesome. I love that. So the goal setting retreat, was that a formal program or, or how did you get into that? It's informal. It's a process where Veronica sets a lot of goals for Will at the beginning <laughs> of the year. And, uh, and then we go back and say, oh, wait, but there's, what are your goals? But now we've, we've modified it. It's our own system. And we used as a kind of a basis, if, if someone's looking for a good book, The Four Disciplines of Execution, it's just a really good way of setting goals following your lead measures versus lag measures. And without getting into the whole premise, it's a great book to start with. And we've tweaked it each year. Now it's a one night overnight thing without kids where it's just focused on both business and personal goals. You know, if we find in a busy life, if we don't schedule or have a goal for how many dates we're going to have, it just don't happen because other things take precedence. Mm -hmm. So at first it was all business and then we in business, we did great, but our personal life got out of balance. So now it's personal and business. And I mean, we've got marker boards with checklists of what our objectives are, but we have something to check in with throughout the year on a weekly basis. And it's been great. Game changer. Nice. Nice. I really like that. And before we go to the three questions I ask every guest on the show, you know, we touched on this before we started recording, but you know, you're, you're looking at uh, both of you being retired. Veronica, you've been retired for little while now. And it sounds like there's a, a still a process of, okay, what is this, what does this look like in the future? What are we going to really turn this into? You, you had goals and shoot, you accelerated that three-year goal to, to one year. And now you're still trying to figure that out. But, you know, again, putting ourselves in the shoes of the listener who's thinking, man, I'd love to retire from my job, but when you retire, what are you going to do? So what do you guys think you're going to do? And that's a, that's a great question, Taylor. I mean, we love adventure. We love travel. For now, our kids are really involved in a lot of things. So being present for them was a huge part of this goal. We want to continue buying real estate and really inspire and teach other people that it is possible. To me, I feel like financial education is just not a priority in our country, really. High school, college, you know, uh, neither one of us learned much about personal finance. I've got a degree in business and they didn't Teach me wow. right? So we want to teach other people. I, I feel calling to teach people like us, firefighters, teachers, nurses, they're hardworking people. And I feel like they're paying more than their share of taxes. I want to show them there are tax strategies in real estate. There are options. So I think a big part of our calling, in addition to continuing to grow our portfolio, is to teach our kids, but also teach our peers and our friends what we've learned. I feel like we have a duty to teach each other. And we love sharing what we've what we've learned. So for me, that's a big part of my calling going forward is helping other people uh, reach this this goal. You know, it's just a powerful thing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, my heart is still in education. And, you know, so I think I would like to get back into, like Will said, educating. But for me, particularly, it's high school kids. So the seniors that are in a business elective class, you know, going in as guest speakers and maybe, you know, teaching them a different, just a different way to think about money. So I, yeah, like we both agree that that's just something that's really lacking um, and that could really help people. I mean, you could still go and be a doctor or whatever you want to do, but if you can just take care of all of your living expenses with passive income, you know, now you have all sorts of options. So that's really a beautiful thing. So we do feel a calling to, to, you know, so we always are appreciative whenever we get invitations to be on a podcast or any kind of presentation, because it is so powerful. I, I still can't believe that Will is able to retire, you know, at the end of the month, like it's incredible. And we're, you know, but in the short term, you know, May is always a super busy month for us with the kids finishing school and it's our birthday anniversary. So it's always busy. And then we're just going to take off to South America, you know, for the summer. And yeah. And so we're just going to take, we're going to take off, you know, just, and just travel with the kids. So we're going to go to Ecuador, you know, and go to the Amazon and we're going to go to Machu Picchu. And I just can't, you know, we're going to Peru. So I can't, I, you know, that would not be, and still get paid, right? That's the beautiful thing. Like we're still going. And so it's just, it's so powerful that we just feel, you know, the calling to, to be able to share this with as many people as possible. And it's not the right fit for everybody, but it's a way, right? To, (laughs) to build long-term wealth. Well, you really spent a lot of time planning and delaying and deferring gratification and making a lot of sacrifices, even though we didn't focus on those sacrifices in the discussion. You did mention them, and it's just a reality of, of how it has sure. to work to make these things happen. Now, Peru, awesome. Machu Picchu, great. Recommend doing uh, Wayana Picchu, I believe it is. The structure right next to Machu Picchu is beautiful. All right. It's all go all the way up. Hike the Inca Trail a little bit. Love it down there. It's beautiful. And, uh, you Thank know, you. I know we're you're... excited. Never been. So we're excited. <laughs> it's, it's really great. It's really beautiful and great place to go right now. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right. As you know, we've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show, are you ready? Yes. All right. You both get a crack at these. Feel free to Go first or second in whichever order you so please. First, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? So for me, other than our first rental, right, that was a really scary and turned into a 1031 exchange and that was really good. But to me, my very best, what I'm so glad we did is that we prioritized travel as a family. And I know that sounds kind of silly, but what travel did for us as a family, I feel like the kids now, you know, they're these pre-teenagers or teenager, one's a teenager, one's a preteen. We're super close. And I feel like that was just such a good investment to travel with the kids. And we made a lot of sacrifices. Lil was, we were living off of his income. So a lot of that travel was in a tent in the National Forest. You know? <laughs> That's still fun. 
<laughs> which is a blast, a blast. We love adventure, but we just prioritized that. And so I'm so glad we did. That was, and it really helped us grow our business because it gave us the motivation to come back and really pour our hearts into this and really grow it. So it's so, and so we still do that. You know, every year we take one big trip, really talk about how we're going to grow. I mean, I second that, but I think for me, business-wise, my best investment was just in our network of local real estate meetups, friends, people that uh, we learned from that kind of mentored us informally. Uh, We found deals through our networking. We found private lenders through our networking. We have now loaned money through our networking and earned a return on those funds. We got involved with syndications through networking. So I think the network building and maintaining that network has been critical and just being around people with like minds that believe in growth and believe in opportunity and are positive and not bringing you down, but are building you up. So the network. Absolutely. You guys mentioned earlier on the folks who 10 years ago were telling you don't do it. And you're so glad you didn't listen. When you stop having those people around you, it's amazing the the possibilities that you see. And we had the best investments. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What what are the worst investments that you've ever made? You want to go first? Okay. You know, like I said earlier, we've been able to pivot through actual deals that maybe, you know, needed a little bit of adjustment and we haven't taken any big losses. But I think I focused too much on retirement accounts early in my career, money that's locked up for the long, long term. And we're kind of taught that, right? Let's be wealthy when we're 80. But what about living today? And I think some of those funds, if I had known this stuff earlier, back to our message to teach these people who are a few steps behind where we are now so they can get here, we we maybe would have funneled some of that money into our investing uh, outside of retirement accounts sooner because there are tax strategies that exist outside of retirement accounts when you get into real estate, as you know well. So I think uh, retirement accounts are not the only path to real estate or to tax shelters. And I would have invested more outside of those probably earlier. For me, it's um, anything we've sold outside of 1031 exchange. <laughs> we sold Will's <laughs> bachelor pad after it being a rental and we did cash out repo. It was so good to us. And we sold it because um, I had, still had a ton of equity and it just wasn't cash flowing anymore because of the cash out refi. And so we sold it and didn't do a 1031 exchange. And that was pricey that year. So now everything we sell, we make sure to shelter it a little bit better. <laughs> Interesting. We, so, we, sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. I said, but we try really hard not to sell anything. <laughs> I like that. It sounds like you you hadn't lived in it for the two out of five years to get the... Right. Okay. We, we made the mistake, actually. We had lived there long enough. I had lived there long enough, but we waited too long to sell it. So we had it as a rental for too many years. Yeah. Had we gone maybe a year or two earlier, we could have gotten the tax-free mm-hmm. gain and still fallen within that homestead exemption or whatever they call it, exemption. Interesting. Okay. I'm I'm at the point where we're probably going to be selling my bachelor pad here soon. And I'm, I was kind of teetering on that decision, but the capital gains tax exemption really, really kind of sets it for me and not yeah, turning absolutely. into a rental. Right. Yes. Nice. My favorite question here at the end of the show are, or is, what are the best lessons that you've learned in business and investing? So many lessons. <laughs> <laughs> For us, I think the biggest lesson was to be really patient and consistent. At first, it felt really, it was really frustrating. It felt like we were never going to grow and we couldn't get the next deal. 
but we still showed up. We still showed up at all the networking events, all the classes, you know, where we were just consistent. Will writes a really good blog. And at the beginning, it like didn't have any subscribers. And then it was <laughs> like, it just takes a while. Now he has a lot. And so it just, it took a while to build traction and momentum. And now, you know, I'm so glad that we remain consistent. We remain focused. Um, on what our goals were and then just, yeah, just remaining consistent, I think was the biggest lesson for me. Yeah. And again, I think that's really good advice. We've, we've avoided the shiny objects and stayed down our course, but also I think for me, my biggest lesson is probably understanding our why. I think that's something that we had in our favor is we really knew why we were doing this. And so I think it's great if someone wants to build a billion dollar company that, that does align with our why. So I think everyone needs to really get in touch with why you're doing whatever you're doing and make sure that it's yours and not someone else's um, reason for, for doing business, whatever your business is. So understanding your why and then making decisions that support that why, which also means saying no to opportunities. And so that's been a huge one. We've said no to plenty of opportunities that didn't align with our why. And so that's just a little advice I would give to someone starting out or wherever they are on their journey. Nice. Well, I like both of those lessons. And I want to thank you guys for joining us today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to find a blog or anything like that, where can they track you both down? Yeah, the blog's at uh, Home Again SA for San Antonio, homeagainsa.com slash blog. Uh, find us there and on Facebook at Home Again Prop. We just try to keep people up to date with stuff we're learning as we go because we learn every single day um, as we look at these properties and learn lessons. We just try to kind of document the, the journey. Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.